0: Well, please turn in your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the first six verses of God's Word in that chapter. And Covenant Kids, I hope you listen as you listen every Sunday to God's Word. Uh, but I hope you also listen, and as your parents allow, uh, you can draw a picture of a letter, a letter you might receive in the mail It's a picture that the Apostle Paul is going to use to describe us, a church, or a letter. And I hope you listen for that as we turn our hearts, as we seek to live under God's word this morning. Let's hear now. Let's slow down our hearts and lives and hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we do come before your word. We thank you for it, for the life that we have through your Son. And we would ask that you'd help us to live under your word that it would shape and form our lives for the sake of your kingdom, for the proclamation and the the growth of your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most of you know the importance of a letter of recommendation. If you have applied for a school or many jobs, they often require a letter of recommendation. And they're important ways that describe and, and help testify, they're witnesses, of who we are to whatever organizations that's needing them. And those who write those letters of recommendation, they are often positions who've known us, uh, who have seen us either at work or in life. Uh, they're recommendations that come and, and bear a weight of their authority writing them. And the greater the authority writing them, the the greater the value that they have. In the ancient world, uh, there were letters of recommendation as well. Uh, The apostle Paul, in fact, wrote letters of recommendation. He wrote them for Timothy, Titus, Phoebe, and others, two churches. Because imagine as important they are in our world of knowing and learning who we are in front of others, how much more important they were in an ancient world where You go to a city that you're not known in. Uh, You go to a new church, like in Corinth, where you're maybe not known, and a letter from Paul would speak to who you were. But imagine if you had to write a self-accommodating letter, a letter of recommendation for yourself. How silly that would be. I had to write one of those letters once, Uh, As a uh, way that our Presbyterian polity works is that when we transfer from a geographical region, a Presbytery, to another Presbytery, we have to have a letter of recommendation from the clerk of that previous Presbytery to make sure that that minister who's transferring into a new church, a new region, uh, hasn't caused problems or he's not under church discipline. And so as the clerk of a previous presbytery transferring here to Covenant, I had to write a letter to the brothers of the Tennessee Valley and it said, uh, to whom it may concern, Pastor Jake Bennett is a member in good standing. Sincerely, Jake Bennett. was <laughs> a silly letter. There's a bit of absurdity to it. But the absurdity, imagine the absurdity even more of what Paul is asking here in this first verse of chapter 3. He's asking, uh, let's, let's take a look at the question that he's posing. Uh, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Are we do, do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? And there were questions that had emerged within the church in Corinth as to who this Paul was, and, and he's asking, Paul's asking this fairly absurd question. Do I need to bring a letter of recommendation to you? And we know from the last chapters we studied a few weeks ago that there were peddlers of God's word. There were people who were seeking selfish gain, seeking to shift the church away from the gospel. And maybe they perhaps were challenging Paul's credentials. Maybe there were some within the church who Never really truly understand who Paul was. But it's an absurd question because they really did know who Paul was. He was the church planter of this church. He had labored for 18 months with the Corinthians. It would be like asking uh, Dr. Keynes, you know, five years into his ministry of planting covenant, you know, you've done, you've done a good job planting this church, Render. But can we have your resume again? Can we ask for a letter of recommendation? It would be a silly thing to ask. It would be an absurd thing to ask. Paul is saying here, uh, you you yourselves, you know who I am. They knew Paul. And the question that he's asking, the posing of this question, it's, it's not really a reflection of Paul's credentials, it's really a question of where the church is, and what they're struggling with, that they would under, misunderstand Paul as an apostle, but misunderstand him as a minister of the gospel, but even more so, that they would misunderstand the gospel itself. And so Paul is actually going to use this question, and he's going to build off of it throughout this chapter He's going to help them understand not just his ministry, but he's going to actually draw them to who God is and what God has done in their midst. You see, Paul, who probably experienced far greater uh, physical challenges than that in Corinth, I mean, he was tortured, he was beaten, he was stoned and left for dead, Uh, The physical weight of Paul in ministry was likely nothing compared to the pain that he was experiencing from this church that he loved, who were functionally saying, we don't know who you are. Uh, The pain that Paul would have experienced as their pastor, uh, the weight of that on his shoulders, and yet Paul doesn't hold on to that pain. He doesn't speak out or lash out to this church. In a sense, he's, he's... modeling for them he's setting an example before them of love of what the ministry he's called to do that points not ultimately to himself but draws them through him to Christ the one who is the the leader and the and the confidence that we have in all of our church Paul is doing more than just defending himself He's giving them an opportunity to understand the gospel. He's reminding them not just of who he is. He's telling them who Christ is. Let's look at how he does that in verse 2. As he humbles himself here, as he builds up the church, he says, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation. You're written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Paul is telling them, even though you may not know who I am, I know who you are. You're my letter of recommendation. He emphasizes that that the corporate body of the church, you yourselves, all of you together, you're my letter of recommendation. He's emphasizing the, the communal part of the church, all of you, those who welcomed, those who immediately supported my ministry, those who I had to debate with and wrestle with about the doctrines of God, those who have now rejected me. And pushed me away. All of you together ultimately are the living proof of the ministry and the service I have before Christ. It's as if Paul is now saying, I've got nothing else to commend myself before you or the world but you. Their lives are different because they've become followers of Jesus, the Jesus who Paul proclaimed in the gospel the gospel that he preached from the very beginning in Corinth. Paul's proof for this letter is in his fatherly love for this church. He tells them, you, you are written on my heart, as if to say that, that you're the ones that, that are, I'm restless over at night when I'm lying in bed and I can't sleep. You're the ones I'm worrying are being deceived by a peddler. You're the ones who I I know are struggling to understand the gospel. You're on my heart and I love you. You're my letter of recommendation. You're the proof of what God is at work doing in the ministry through me. Church family, have you ever experienced that kind of love? A love whether it's a parent or a friend or someone who, who carries your burdens with you. Who is up late at night because they can't rest because of the love they have for you. That's how the church is to be with one another. Paul's giving this as a way of an example. As much as he's sharing his love, it's it's a picture of the way God designs our church to be interconnected with one another. No one likes to be restless at night. But it's a beautiful thing to be burdened in your love for another. That we would share in the sufferings of others, that we would rejoice in the joys of others. God designs his church that we would be written on each other's hearts as a letter for the world to see. And Paul is is testifying to the Corinthians as much as the Corinthians and the work that, he, that the Lord has done through Paul are testifying to him. It's a letter that's being read that Paul says by all, known and read by all. And what's being known and read by all? You see, Paul continues to explain that the Corinthians aren't simply a proof of his ministry, but they are a letter from Christ what he says here in verse 3. Paul finds his confidence in ministry. Look at with me in verse 3. You show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. See, the beginning of this verse in verse 3, the words, and you show, they're a bit more complex than it sounds in the English. They're, they're literally meaning being made evident or being made known or revealed. It's a passive participle. It's saying that it's not just that you're showing, there's someone who's causing you to be seen in this light, and it's not yourselves. He's saying God is at work. You're not generating the evidence of being a letter from Christ. It's God at work in you, showing forth himself through you. That's declaring you to be a letter that's read by all to who Jesus is. That's the content of our lives. It's the person, the work, their identity is to show forth Jesus, his lordship and his love in the world. That's what's made evident in the lives of the church. Every change in conformity that that the Corinthians have done in being like Jesus, every word of hope and encouragement that's grounded in the gospel every act of faith, because Jesus is my Lord. Even the rejection of false gods and idols, they're showing themselves forth as a letter from Jesus. So are you. As weak and feeble as we may often seem to feel at times, The spirit of the living God is at work. He's written on your hearts. He's changed your life. And that's testifying to all of who Jesus is. We are Christ's letter. We belong to him. And that's what the spirit is at work doing. It's a work that's Takes time. It's a relational work as we see more of who Jesus is in His Word, as we conform and make more and more life decisions to follow Him. It's God at work whittling us away, showing forth the Son of God. And even as the Corinthians knew the love that came from Paul, that, that they were heavy on his heart, and as we may know how we have one another on our hearts. Those are but a small picture of the love that comes from God. You see, your names aren't just on Paul's heart. Your names have been graven on Jesus's hands. Jesus, the son of the living God pursued you. He drew near to you. He gave himself for you. He gave his life for Paul, once a persecutor, now a picture of God's love to the Corinthians. And Paul is setting aside his credentials, his self-glory, so that Jesus might be made known to the Corinthians. That it's not Paul who drives the church, it's Paul who points to Christ, who's over the church. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about this passage and about Paul in this passage. He says, Paul here has laid down a challenge for every generation of the church to come. A church that would ask the question, how do we show forth Christ to the world? And even beyond that, how do we not just show the lordship and love of Christ to the world? How do we do that first in the church? Does the church see my life Pointing myself to Jesus, his love, his lordship. Because Paul builds on this and, and explains this in, in verse 4. Look, look again, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Paul wants the Corinthians to know that our confidence, our assurance isn't a self-confidence. It, it doesn't come from us, it comes from God. Now, that's what Paul is saying here, that, that our ability to be a living letter doesn't come from our great eloquence, our great skill sets. It actually comes from Jesus. He's our confidence. He's the one leading and directing his church. He is the one who the gospel puts forth as conquering sin and death. There's an evangelist, R.A. Torrey. Some of you know that name. He was a, a, a pastor and evangelist in the 19th, 20th century. And uh, one night he was in a uh, gospel meeting revival in a a tent area and he was describing an encounter he had with a a large group of people and there was a young man there and the young man, uh, he had just come to faith in Christ and he decided he wanted to stand up and preach and share his testimony but this man was brand new to the faith and, and he had never spoken in public before. So when he got up, he stuttered and he, he was confusing and it wasn't the greatest uh, uh, eloquent speech and he, and he sat back down and there was an old man there who stood up after and said this, young man, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You cannot preach and you ought not to try. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And Tori said that the young man slowly got back up, stood back up, and said, Well, I am ashamed of myself, but I am not ashamed of my Lord. Tori went on to say that the trouble that we often have is that we're not ashamed of ourselves when we ought to be, but instead we are far too ashamed of our Lord Jesus. That we would risk the gospel going forward in our lives that in the face of our weakness and our inabilities we would still put forth Christ to proclaim him. That's what Paul is saying. The confidence and ministry, in the health and life of our church it doesn't come from ourselves. It must be found in Jesus. We must trust every time we show forth the Lordship and the love of our Savior that he is at work and that he will produce the results in our lives and for the sake of his kingdom. That's Paul's confidence in Jesus. Our confidence comes because the ministry that God has called us to is sufficient because of him. Look with me in verse 5 and 6. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves. The confidence isn't ultimately in us. The sufficiency is in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The word sufficiency here, it means competency or or qualifications. In a sense, it's kind of a a, a recommendation letter, a credential, (laughs) In some ways, Paul's answering here the question to prove himself. Because what he's saying is what, what ultimately qualifies Paul for ministry is not himself. Because he's a needy, weak, and unable person in himself. His best efforts in the church on his own were to persecute and seek to destroy the church. But because of what Christ has done and the sufficiency of the gospel in Paul's life, he has changed from the persecutor to the one who's willing to lay down his life so that the church would see more of Jesus. It's God who makes us sufficient to serve And Paul describes this ministry in two ways. Uh, He describes it as a ministry of a new covenant and he describes it as a ministry of the Spirit. What Paul means by these things is that that first of all, he's a minister of the new covenant as a herald of what Christ has done. All of what God has promised, all of the the pictures of what God is at work doing in in the seasons and generations leading up to Christ, all of them are fulfilled in Jesus. And because he has fulfilled them in a new way, by his own blood, Paul is a servant. He's a minister of that work, of that new covenant, instituted by Christ. And he's a minister of the Spirit, not of the law. And he describes it in verse 6 here. Paul qualifies this by saying, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In verse 3, Paul referenced tablets of stone, a reference to Moses going up to Mount Sinai to receiving the Ten Commandments. But Moses' ministry as he brought those commandments down, they were letters from God, there was a tablet from God written on stone, but the people struggled to understand it or to listen to it or to follow it. But Paul's ministry among the Corinthians, he's seen the fruit of this new covenant because these Gentiles and and Jewish people from the synagogues, they've, they've heard and left the pagan idols. They've left their old way. They've become new creations. In their listening to who Christ is and their willingness to follow him, their lives have been transformed from death to life. That's what life looks like, in fact. Paul's saying real life only comes by the Spirit as it testifies and draws us into the covenant that Christ inaugurates. It's a new way of living that calls back to the way God created us from the beginning before sin and death entered into the world. That is real life and it's the Spirit's work that brings it as we learn to lay down our lives for one another. Even as the Corinthians struggled to follow, to understand the ministry of the Apostle Paul, their pastor, Paul reframes his life and his ministry away from himself and directs the church to build our life upon the author and foundation of our faith, the Lord Jesus He tells us that we are defined by God as a living letter for a mission and a work of testifying to who he is, to those within the church and to the world around. We do this as we make Christ known, the lordship that he calls us to follow him in and the life that he's given to us through himself. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you'd help us to be a living letter of your son, our Lord and Savior Jesus. Would you lead us that we would boast not in our confidence or in our credentials, but that we would minister from the work you have given us through the gospel of your son. Align our thoughts and our words and our actions so that your lordship and your love might be made known and read by all around us. Keep our eyes fixed upon your son, the foundation of our faith, the foundation of your church, and help us as we continue to worship you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.